Uh, we, we are going to be moving into a new sermon series. Uh, we are in the season of Lent. And if you are not familiar with that, Lent is, is the season of preparation. Uh, it's, it's our way of connecting with the journey of Christ. Forty is a, is a important number in the scriptures. If you remember after Jesus was baptized, if you read at the beginning, especially the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus uh, tells the story of his birth, and then he, he began this uh, learning, learning from his parents. You know, we know that he was active in, in listening to the elders, and he was keyed into the scriptures. But about the age of 30, it was time for his public ministry to begin. And, and the way that started is he went before John the Baptist, and had himself baptized. Do you remember this story? And as he came, John looked at him and said, that's the Son of God, that's the Lamb of God. And they, he was baptized, he submitted himself for baptism. As he came out up out of the water, literally a voice from heaven spoke, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Follow him, listen to him. And he goes from that place into the desert. For 40 days. Okay. Remember another 40 in the Bible? There's a couple of them. Noah and the ark. <laughs> yep. The exit 40 years in the wilderness. Yeah. There, 40 is one of those days. But Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. Okay. He goes from this high. And, and, and what the scriptures say is the spirit of God descended on him like a, like a dove. It was a physical manifestation of, of God's presence. He goes from this high and then goes out into the desert for 40 days. And during that 40 days, he fasted. And, and, and this is what I think it was about. Even though he was the son of God, he was, he was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And that 100% man needed to make sure he is, his motivation was correct for what he was going to do. And that's, that's what was being tested in the desert. And so for that 40 days, we're told that Jesus ate and drank absolutely nothing for, for 40 days, okay? At the end of that 40 days, what happens? That's when the tempter comes. When he's at his weakest point, in fact, what the scripture says is he was famished. At his weakest point, the tempter comes. And isn't that always when the tempter comes into our lives? It's when you're tired, it's when you're upset. It's, it's, it's when you're uh, frustrated. That's, those are the times we're most likely to, to stray. And challenges Jesus to, to live for himself rather than following God's plan. And we all know that Jesus was able to resist that temptation and then moved out in ministry. This Lenten season, that's what, that's what this 40 days, this preparation time is about for us. It's our time to join with Jesus in, in making sure our motivation is right, making sure our priorities are right, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not about giving up Coke or giving up sugar. Those are things your doctor tells you to do, okay? It's about becoming famished of ourselves and hungering for God. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But that's, that's what we're going to focus on. What we're going to be doing over the next few weeks leading to Easter is we're going to look at some passages in Matthew that talk about what Jesus was trying to bring to the world, the message that he had. 
in our first verse is in chapter four of Matthew, verse 17. It's after this whole thing in the desert. This is the next section. And as you're reading through Matthew, this verse marks the beginning of a new section. There's a, there's a section uh, that goes to about chapter 17. This is the teaching section, and this is the topic se- sentence of it. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sin, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, This is what Jesus' ministry was about. Repent of your sin, turn to God, because there is something new happened. The kingdom of heaven is near. Let's talk about that just for a little bit, okay? Because we need to remind ourselves about this all the time. The kingdom of heaven was Jesus ushering in the new plan of what God was going to do. We had been living in the kingdom of man. And we know what the kingdom of man is about. It's about get whatever you can, hurt whoever you can. It's all about me. It's all about pleasure. It's all about what I want. It's all about what makes me happy. And if it hurts someone else, too bad for them. They should have been more uh, bold in their wanting what's best for them. That's the kingdom of man. Jesus said, no, I'm starting something new. The kingdom of heaven is near. And you need to do two things to get ready for it. Number one, what's it say? Repent of your sins. Okay. Repent means what it means in figuratively is do a 180 degree turn. You're heading in this direction. You need to turn around and go the other way, okay? Which is a good reminder for a lot of us because a lot of things that we're tempted with and that get us into trouble, you know, we're willing to go, man, I I really shouldn't be doing that. I I need to give it up sometime. But we just keep heading in the the same direction. God, please help me. Oh, forgive me for the time I did that, but I'm still going to get... I mean... What repentance is, is, hey, that gets me in trouble. I need to try something else, right? That's repent. So number one, we need to turn away from our sin. And number two, what? Turn to God, okay? And he says the reason we need to do that is because there is something new happening. The kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of heaven. And what we're going to read, and we're, we're going to start with the Beatitudes, which is in chapter five. And this is from the Sermon of the Mount. This is sort of a, this is sort of the, the topic for the rest of the gospel. This sort of encapsul, encapsulates the, the idea and the, and the mindset of what Jesus is bringing. And let me warn you, it is not what we're used to. Okay? If, if, if you're looking for a God who wants your your happiness to be his number one thing, you're looking in the wrong place. If if you're looking for a God who is who is going to succumb to your will at, rather than asking you to come to him, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay? Part of what we're going to be doing over this 40 days, a lot of you have GPSs, right? All right? In order for a GPS to work, it needs two integral pieces of information. Right? Where you are and where you're going. Okay? Part of what you need to be doing at home during this season is prayer, self-examination, figuring out where am I. Be honest with yourself. Where am I? What we're going to be talking about on Sundays is a picture of what Jesus said we're heading towards. Okay? So this is going to be challenging to you. It's going to, it's going to go fly right in the face of what our world tells us. And it's not meant to judge you. It's a journey. 
It's an evaluation. Just like if I'm riding in the car and we're driving to San Antonio and I just happen to turn over at one time and five minutes down the road, if I get mad because we're not in San Antonio yet, that's ridiculous. Okay? God is not as worried about where you are on the journey. It's do you have the right coordinates put into your GPS? That's why we need to repent and turn away from where, because otherwise we're heading in a bad direction. You're going to, you're going to end up with your GPS saying, turn left at next corner. Repeat, turn left at next corner. We, we, we just want to make sure we got the right destination. Okay. You have heard these passages many times. Some of, it's going to sound a little unfamiliar because I'm not reading them out of King James version, but you will recognize them. I think let's, uh, Let's take a look. Chapter 5, verse 1. In that preaching that Jesus was doing, this is what he started to teach about. One day as he he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord for you this morning. Thanks be to God. We're going we're gonna to break these down a little bit and, and uh, take a look at them. But even in just that reading, could, could you hear how different that is from the kingdom of man? I mean, do you recognize that being a Christian is not about, not about coming up with a religious way to, to rationalize everything we do? To become a Christian, to become a follower of Christ, Maybe we should start using some different language because you think, oh, Christian, well, I came to church this morning. I'm a Christian. Well, to be a follower of Christ, to be a Jesus follower, to be a, a, a mini Jesus, which is what we're supposed to be. That's what Christians means. It's a mini Christ. The I-A-N at the end of Christ is like the mini, uh, like uh, the Austin Powers movie of mini me. We're supposed to be like the mini Jesus. That's a bad reference, but... Um, <laughs> In order to become that, it involves a completely different direction. We cannot follow God and keep doing things the way we used to do. We cannot keep heading down the same old path and call it Christianity just because we sang a hymn. You can't keep heading in the same direction and and call yourself uh, saved just because you read a book or, or put some money in a plate. 
This is a lifestyle change. And, and what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to be a part of it, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And it is so much different than what we are used to. It is so much different. This is countercultural. This is why the Pharisees did not like Jesus. This is why the, the, the religious leaders did not like Jesus because he sort of blew the whistle on all their fakiness. You know, it, it's a lot harder to live a life devoted to God than it is to put on robes and, and put on fancy hats and lit, light candles and all that, all that malarkey. That, that's, a, that's a lot easier to do to fake it than live in it, isn't it? So let's look at what he has to say. We'll, t- we'll sort of take through them, and I'll try not to get off track here. Verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other versions, the way you're more used to hearing it is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We've been talking about this. This is a thing we picked up in First Peter, too, as we went through that series. God needs you to understand that you're not, you're not self-sufficient. When, when he says poor in spirit, it, it's, it's that you realize there's something lacking in your life. And we can, we can go with poor and rich as far as financially too, because if you have everything you need, then you're not looking for anything. Jesus actually had a comment on that, didn't he? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come to come to God. There needs to be a brokenness and a in a need in your life. David the psalmist picked up on this. The true sacrifice is a broken and contrite spirit. A need. The God there is something within me that only you can fill. There is something within me that that needs you. See, God is not a terrorist. He doesn't come in and invade us and take us over. He has to wait for us to invite. He doesn't have to, but that's the choice he's given us out of love. He's given us the choice to accept or refuse, turn around, uh, to turn away or to invite. He's put that in our hands. We have the ability we all need it. We just, we, we fool ourselves into thinking that our possessions, that our, our influence at the job or whatever is going to... You know the one time everybody is willing to pray? Even, even our atheists in our nation that are asking us not to ever refer to God. Or, it's amazing if there's a national tragedy. Everybody pray, please. Right? What God wants is for us to recognize that need for him all the time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those of you that, that know, you know, I'm screwed up without God. You've given him access. That's what he needs. In other words, we've got to give up our ego. We've got to give up our will for his. Okay? Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If, if you came here this morning with a theology of God that the more, the harder you believe in God, the better your faith is, the happier and the wealthier and the uh, whatever you'll be. I'm sorry, we're about to blow that right out of the water, all right? Blessed are those who mourn. You mean God sometimes is going to expect us to be upset? Yeah. 
Again, it goes with that poor in spirit. We, we, we are not in heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the destination that we have, but it's not here. And part of that is we, we need to be a little uncomfortable here in order to drive us to where we want to go. Okay, parents, remember this. You don't want your home to be too comfortable or those kids will live with you forever. <laughs> you need them to be a little uncomfortable sometimes, right? Especially if they're in their 20s, 30s, it's about time you start putting some thumbtacks in their mashed potatoes or something. You got to get them out of the nest. If you don't make it uncomfortable for them, you don't. Even eagles, you know, as a baby eagles growing up, they live on the cliffs. You know how a mother teaches her kids? She pushes them out the nest. And they go, (laughs) And then she'll swoop down and rescue it a couple times. But eventually, you keep throwing it out of that nest long enough until it can fly on its own. That's part of what this is about. If we had everything that we wanted, if we never had any sorrow... What would we have to work for? It's not that God is giving us sorrow just to make him want us more, but it, that's the way of the world. That's why the promise in Revelation 21 is there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more illness. That's where we're heading. And the more you understand where you are, the more you appreciate where you're going, right? That's we're still The kingdom of man is still here, but the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's coming. And I forgot to mention at the beginning, you you hear wacko people all the time telling you when it's going to be. And and the way, the reason I say that is Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, who now sits at the right hand of the father says, I don't even know when the time is. That's That's the father's deal. But what he taught us is you need to live your life in a way that you're ready. Just be ready. Just live your life live your life with no regrets, in other words. Live your life or you treat other people the way you're supposed to. Then whenever it happens, it doesn't matter, okay? Um, verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Humble. And are you noticing something, how Jesus is such a perfect example for these things? Humble. I mean, here's the son of God, man. He, he, he had all knowledge, all power. Even when faced with death, even when being dragged before these kangaroo courts the, the week before, uh, the, the night before his death, he could have, you know, who the heck are you, Pharaoh? I made you. Uh, no. Humbleness. A willingness to take the second seat. That was what Satan went after him about in the desert. Hey, man, you're the son of God. You're hungry, man. Why don't you snap your fingers and make those rocks into loaves of bread? Just give me the word and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to serve your father. Serve me and I'll give you everything you wanted. But Jesus was willing to humble himself, to give up his desires for for God's. He says, if you do that, you'll inherit the whole earth. If you're willing to give up your will, you'll inherit the whole earth. The, the, the way Jesus said it later on in Matthew is, if you're willing to give up your life, then you will find it. But anyone who tries to cling to his life will lose it. 
It's, it's this paradox. The harder you fight to be happy, the more miserable you're going to be. The harder you fight to be in control of everything, the more out of control you're going to be. But if you're willing to be humble, to trust God, to let go, you're going to become, then he'll take care of you, okay? I know that makes absolutely no sense in the kingdom of man, does it? It does not make sense. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, okay? For they will be satisfied. Who hunger and thirst for, what's the word? Justice. In our culture, this has become a hot topic. Green and and everything else. Haley buys shoes that when you buy them, they send another pair to kids in Africa. You know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, all their profits go to non... That's wonderful. But you know what? Justice is not about us getting our way. Justice... Justice is, as much as we think we want, we don't really want justice. Because you know what? Justice is getting what you deserve. And not not many of us would be happy with that payoff, right? But what God says is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, to hunger and thirst for things to be right. To be, to be even. And here's a great Lenten connection for you. Who hunger and thirst. You know what? This is part of why the, the tradition of fasting on Lent comes about. When you, when you, when you fast, if you're giving up something, as I said, it's not the 40 day Jesus Christ diet. You know, 40 days to a, to a healthy, happier, uh, Christian disciple. That's not, it's not the Lenten diet. This is what it's about. What did we say about Jesus at the end of his time in the desert? He was famished because he, he, and he was so famished, he was famished for the presence of God too. When you're, when you're fasting, it's a great time as you don't eat a meal for a day. It's not for your diet. It's so that during that time you can consider that while you get to pig out every single day, there are people all over this world who don't have a meal. That's hunger and thirsting for justice. When you give up going to Starbucks for the time, and not just to get off the caffeine, but then you take that money that you spend on that and send it to people who are poor, then you're on the right track. This hunger, this thirst for things to be the way God intended them to be. That's what drove the disciples out in the early church. That's what's missing in our culture. We do not have a passion for other people. The only justice we're interested in is that we get what we want. And that's not justice. That's selfishness. That's self-righteousness. The thing our culture misses, the part of Christianity that we are so outside of. If we really had a hunger and thirst for justice, then churches wouldn't have fights over what kind of music they do. They wouldn't have fights over where the building should be. The thing they would be fighting over is who is the one that gets to go and serve someone else in Jesus' name. That's the passion that drives the church. 
that it bothers me so much that there are people in other countries that we are so we are so full of food that we eat because we're bored. Well, there's people that that don't even get to eat, period. And we could take care of that. It bothers me that there are countries that are being ravaged by disease because of their poverty levels and because of the, the hospitals and things. And we have, we have the ability to change that. But it's a lot more fun to have governmental fights within our own system about who's right and who's wrong, isn't it? And grandstand on TV and point fingers and oh, da, da. How about a passion about just what's right? And if I just stepped on your political toes, that wasn't my intention. My intention is there is something a lot more important than what your health care plan looks like. When some people don't even have health, period. We, we are so spoiled in this nation. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm on a soapbox right now, but here I go. We are so spoiled. And what God wants from it, this is part of that kingdom thing. Quit being so concerned about yourself. You have more than you need. Flip it around. The kingdom of heaven says, hey, let's take care of somebody else. We could end hunger in our generation. We could end malaria and some of these other diseases within the next seven years. Anybody in here a seventh grader? Cole, seventh grader? When you graduate, the goal of uh, the the United Nations is that malaria will no longer be a killer disease. When he graduates, it can be done. But we got to quit fighting over what we like and what we want and what we need and bit that there and oh poor me man I, uh, the waiter took ten minutes to bring my food last week I'm never going back to that restaurant yeah. HEB's not even carrying my favorite brand of cereal anymore God we are so ridiculous what we need is a hunger. Have any of you ever really been hungry? You see, we're so spoiled by food and drink, we don't even know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. If you've ever been in a situation, you will do whatever it takes to be satisfied. These guys that you hear about being stranded in the desert, it's it, the guys in the Haitian hurricane or, uh, earthquake that were trapped in the rubble for, for 30 days, that they knew what it felt like to be hungry. And the, the only thing they could think of when they got out is, I need a drink and I need some food. That is the kind of single-minded single purpose that we as a Christian church need to have for the world. We need to see justice. And government can't provide that. We, the hands and feet of God, that is our calling. Don't put it off on your elected officials. That's like expecting your teacher's job to raise your kid. We have such a culture of pushing off responsibility. It's our job to take care of the world. Okay, enough of that. I'm getting off of my, my thing here. I'll wrap up. Next one, this is important. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. This one 
Jesus had a little example about too. I think children are our picture of this. And you've heard me before. I do not think children are perfectly innocent and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of impurity in children's hearts. <laughs> okay. But the, the, the pureness in their willingness to believe. As these kids come forward and I tell them, you know what? God's listening to you. Say a prayer to them. They go, oh, yeah, cool. I'll do that. If I say that to an adult, they go, oh, well, can you explain to me how that could happen? I mean, how could God be at all places at once and yet still know me and he has the whole universe? We're so smart, we can't figure it out. But a kid can just believe it. That's why Jesus, the disciples, he was teaching and and these kids started coming and the disciples were like, hey, come on, this is big church. You got children's church, go on. We don't want to hear you, go away. And, And Jesus said, wait a minute. That's the whole thing about what I'm trying to do right there. That is the kingdom of heaven. And unless you can believe like they do, you can't be a part of it. I'll let you work out what that means. Think about that. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. You cannot take his name if you don't have his agenda. Do you hear me? You can't take his name if you're not willing to follow his agenda. His agenda is not getting a new constitutional amendment. His agenda is not pointing his finger and, and trying to make sure all the denominations understand that we're the best one and you're not. It's not the agenda of the church to, to take some false moral stands against things that you're doing too. The agenda is to work for the peace of the world. Peace. Now, sometimes it takes a sword to have peace. But that's up to Jesus to call, not to me. We're too willing to grab our swords. Last one. God blesses those who are, and this is, the, this is one we hate. I wish we could just leave these ones out. Don't you? Because we can be all spiritual about these, but then this one just knocks you in the face. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For doing right. He's going to, I get, and why are we surprised? We picked up on this in the other scriptures we were doing too. If you're going to get in trouble, get in trouble for doing something right. Don't get in trouble for doing something wrong, right? Wrong, right? Wrong, (laughs) right? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right. It took me a long time to understand this one because that Harlingen church I was a part of, that was part, I had to work at, they gave me the ability to work out some of my misbeliefs about the church. Like when I started working, when I was a lay person and everything, I was a hero then, man. Hey, hero, he's helping us out. Well, then the church hired me and then it was like, oh. Why aren't you doing more? Uh, and, and, I, and I had this idea of when I went into the church of this is going to be great. I'm so glad I'm leaving teaching because they don't appreciate me for who I am. But I'm, I'm about to go work for Christians. And they, they're, they're going to be able to see past some of my mistakes. They'll, they'll read my motivation rather than, than the things I do wrong. They, 
it's going to be so awesome because I love God. I just want to serve him. And, and I know they love God and they're just going to want to serve him too. And so we'll just all get together and we'll praise Jesus. And we'll just, we're going to take on this world. And it took me about a week and a half to figure out church people are meaner than anybody. <laughs> the big line you need to catch in there. It says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, made fun of, ridiculed, for doing good. If you're a jerk, you're a jerk. You deserve to be treated wrong, right? That's justice. So don't don't go flip off your neighbor and then go, oh man, they're calling me names. I'm just trying to be a Christian. That that's not you're blessed when it's for doing good. It's blessed when you're carrying the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said, Hey, I would give up my whole life. I'd give up all my wealth and everything if I could just share in the joy of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. That is the closest we can be to Christ who was willing to die for us. That's the closest we can be to him is when we suffer alongside of him. Well, this is a big change from the kingdom of man, isn't it? But that's the coordinates we need to type into our GPS. That's where we are headed. That is the calling. That is the higher picture. That's the destination. That's what we're, that's what we're looking toward. Okay? We're going to continue this. We'll, we'll flesh some more out of this in, in, the next couple, in the next few weeks. But where we're heading is we're going to celebrate on Easter the fact that Jesus didn't just teach these things. He earned these things for us. He didn't just say they're coming. He, he made sure that the deed was done, that there, we are unencumbered now between him and between us and God through him. That's what we're celebrating, but we've got to understand where we are in order to celebrate our destination. Okay.